The Healthy Golf Podcast, Episode 34, The Monthly Mash with Andrew Roberts. Welcome to The Healthy Golf Podcast, a podcast designed to help you transform your golf game and your life. Join your host, Dr. Joe O, as he chats with experts on all things golf performance to keep you feeling great and playing your best on and off the course. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast. Uh, welcome to 2020. I am your host, Joe, with co-host Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks uh, for having me once again. Happy uh, 2021 to everybody. Uh, hopefully 2020 was okay, or at least you found some good things about 2020. And uh, looking forward to rolling into 2021 starting today. That's it. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, if you really think about it, 2020 wasn't the greatest for a lot of reasons, and there was probably a lot of negatives for most people. But if you look back, there's definitely some positives in some of that. So if you haven't done so, I definitely implore you to go ahead and do that because trying to just build upon that positive mindset, mind frame going into 2021 will be super helpful to help you go ahead and just start strong into the new year. Yeah, I totally totally agree with that. Um, you know, whether it's you, you set a few minor goals for yourself, whether you keep yourself accountable with a, a group of, you know, people, whether it's coworkers, peers, trusted friends, mentors, things like that, um, or just, uh, you know, a, a list of specific stuff that you really enjoy, go ahead and do it. Or maybe just a word or a statement or a phrase that you can take all the way into 2021 would be a good idea. Perfect. So with that being said, it's been it's been a while since we last chatted and had our our monthly match. I believe it was early December. Yep. Um, we wrapped up pretty much the golf the golf calendar year, and um, we hadn't talked about or we didn't see the PNC uh, championship, which was pretty interesting. We the world was unveiled to Charlie Woods, um, who I think probably most people would pay to have his eleven year old swing right now. Oh, absolutely! I thought. And he was the talk of Twitter. I mean, it, it, Golf Digest did their uh, end-of-the-year words. If you go to golfdigest.com, they said uh, the buzz of Twitter was definitely Charlie Woods, and he was definitely the top of the conversation. Uh, and, and day one, I mean, he hits a five-wood to, to five feet on a par five and makes his first eagle with his dad looking on. I mean, how cool is that? And then, you know, they put together two quality rounds. Unfortunately, Mike and Justin Thomas were in fuego on on day two and ended up winning it. But I thought the whole event with everybody they invited um, from Tiger and Charlie Woods to Justin and Mike Thomas to some of the regulars like Bubba Watson, Mark Alcavecchia, um, VJ Singh, Bernhard Longer. I mean, it, it's just an awesome event that they put on uh, down in Florida every year, uh, a two day event. It's just, it's, it's really cool um, that fathers and sons and, um, or fathers, sons-in-law, or, or things like that. It, it's really cool to see, you know, like just the just the whole tournament in general. I think it's it's it was outstanding. Yeah, it was good to see. And I mean, shoot, I mean, we've seen John Daly Jr. for some time now. He's going to be mm-hmm. something to be reckoned with as he continues to go through uh, his well, I guess start his college career. And then even uh, Matt Kuchar's son, I think his name's Cameron. I can't remember exactly, but he uh, he's also pretty pretty good golfer too. For I think he was only fourteen, so he's got a ways to go. Um, but we'll see if he even uh, 
takes a takes a roll into golf somehow. I'm sure. I'm sure that's a likely possibility. Yeah, either either golf or uh, Matt Kuchar's wife is a former college tennis player. I think she played. I think they met at Georgia Tech. So, um, one of those two things. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, some of these some of these kids have really good backgrounds, and obviously when your 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 father uh, is a like a PGA Tour or Champions Tour or whatever type player, I mean. <laughs> you got half the genes already, so you might as well try and use them. Yep. And then uh, with some new changes in the new year, we've seen you and I were talking before we got started, um, potentially some changes to uh, some of the equipment used by players, especially Team TaylorMade. We now have Tommy Fleetwood on TaylorMade. And then as we were talking, uh, we didn't see in the TaylorMade holiday picture this year, they were missing Jason Day and John Rahm. So that leaves to speculation of where they may go. Um, I don't know if you've heard anything about where they may go or not. Well, I think uh, uh, it makes sense for Tommy Fleetwood to go TaylorMade. I don't, I don't know if it'll end up being a great decision. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I mean, he's played, you know, last two of the last three years, he's played a, he's played uh well, actually, three of the last four, he's played TaylorMade drivers. He's played the M3. He switched between the M5 and 6. He had sim a little bit this year, but then kind of went into, and I think we talked about this maybe last uh, monthly match, is he got into the Titleist TSI 3, which has been a very hot driver uh, towards the end of 2020, maybe the hottest driver uh, heading into 2021. But we obviously know equipment manufacturers will roll out with new stuff. Ping's got one down the line. Callaway's got a new one uh, that Phil Mickelson has been spotted with. Um, he said he's hitting even farther bombs with it, you know, typical Phil. And then obviously TaylorMade has a, I believe it's the Sim 2 and the Sim Max 2 down the line. So, uh, But it makes sense. Tommy Fleetwood has played TaylorMade Woods a lot. He's got a set of prototype uh, blade irons that, uh, you know, obviously Rory and Tiger and Dustin and uh, a lot of those players that TaylorMade are playing with and their ground to his specifications. Uh, he had been switching between Titleist and uh, Callaway um, wedges uh, throughout the year. He had a gapper. Uh, people remember a couple of years ago when TaylorMade introduced the gapper, he kept that in his bag a lot of the time, especially in European tour stops, not so much PGA tour stops. Um, and then obviously he's got that trusty Odyssey white hot putter. Um, and it played the title as Pro V1X for a long time. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what his set makeup is. If all 14 clubs are going to be tailor-made, if he's only going to have like 10 or so many, is he going to play the ball or are they going to let him play the title as ball? Those equipment contracts are also interesting. Um, as far as John Rahm and Jason Day, apparently uh, there is someone I follow on Instagram, the equipment junkie, uh, John Rahm plays down kind of near me. Obviously, I live an hour and a half away from Phoenix, but he plays down at Scottsdale at the private club called the Silverleaf, which is a haven for PGA, LPGA, and Champion Stewart players. And he was spotted with a Callaway staff bag with his name on it and then the Silverleaf logo on his bag. So it looks like he may be Team Callaway, but no official announcement has been made. Um, as far as Jason Day, he's got a huge equipment. He's got a huge apparel, footwear, and accessory deal with Nike Golf. So he may just become a free agent a la Billy Horschel, Brooks Kepka, 
Paul Casey, Patrick Reed, some of these other guys, and may just kind of mix and match his equipment throughout the year. <laughs> or maybe he's going to sign with a manufacturer that we don't know anything about yet. Um, there's been nothing as far as being reported on any of the major golf websites or um, any Instagram or Twitter or Facebook stories about that. So I'm sure more of that will unfold over the next month or so, especially with uh, what's the first, what's the Sony? Is that the first yeah. uh, uh, no, the tournament of champions, which is okay. Next. And then so, Sony's after that. Um, and John Rahm has committed to that. So we will definitely see next week. if the, Callaway staff rumors are, are true with him. Um, European tour starts on the 21st of January uh, in Abu Dhabi, a Rolex series event. Justin Rose, I mean, Justin Thomas and Rory McIlroy have already committed. So they've got two heavy hitters in that. Uh, Lee Westwood, the defending champion who won the European tour order of merit known as the race to Dubai will be defending his title there. And I'm sure a lot of other great players will be there. So probably over the next few weeks, we will, definitely see um who's going where with the equipment you know what things what changes are being made um or just any other nuanced news stories uh that are typically present at the beginning of the year yeah it'll be interesting to see uh how that's going and then one question that we wanted to pose we're not exactly sure of who who started whether it was golf magazine golf digest we both saw it on uh social media but basically who who or what do you think is going to happen in 2021? Whereas Dustin Johnson will win multiple majors. Tiger will get his 83rd win. Um, Victor Hovland will um, win a major, right? Is that one? Yeah. Yep. And then the last one is will Bryson uh, rise to world number one? And I think that's um, a really good question. Definitely up for debate and topic. Um I would probably go with what we were talking about a little bit earlier is probably either seeing Tiger win his 83rd um, or seeing Victor win a major. Um, maybe not necessarily Victor, but maybe one of those other younger guys, like you had mentioned, like Wolf, Morikawa uh, already won one. But any of those younger guys potentially win a major before all those other things happen. I mean, DJ to win multiple majors in a season that's just tough in general to do. I mean, yes, he's on fire. He was on fire this past season. I mean, he won, I think I saw it was like just over somewhere between 26 and 27 million throughout yeah. the whole year, which is absurd. Yeah. Um, but I think to continue to just go on that streak and continue to just win majors, like it's nobody's business. It's going to be pretty tough. Um, and then I think Bryson, there's so much that goes into like world number one rankings between how they score and all, you know, everything that goes into that um and it's i think it's going to be tough for him to do that um with everything else especially with how good everyone else steadily is including dj jt all these guys you know and then depending on how many tournaments tiger plays in i think that just gives him a better shot at getting his 83rd win versus you know dj winning multiple majors or all those other options basically yeah, and, and I'll go and rank them. I think number one, Victor Hovland, I think, wins a major. Um, that would be my first one. He's won twice on the PGA Tour, both on the 72nd hole, rammed in a putt last year at the Puerto Rico Open from 30 feet, which I was like, if he misses this, it's 10 foot by, but, you know, thankfully he made it. 
Number two, he wins Mayakoba this year with a 15-foot birdie putt in the 72nd hole. And then I, I found this interesting in his, his post, uh, post-round interviews. He said, I don't think I'm good at the pressure situations. It's like, dude, you've won two PGA Tour events at the age of 21, 22. So, and, and I've watched him play in the European Tour. He's played in the big events, the BMW PGA this year, and then the uh, DPT World Tour Championship a few weeks ago. Top 10s in both. So he can play either tour. He can play either side of the pond. And obviously all three of the four majors are in the United States. Um, and, and then one in the British Open. But he's from Norway, so he's used to, you know, colder conditions, wetter conditions. So I, I think it's only a matter of time before he wins a major. Matt Wolf last year tied for fourth at the PGA, second at the U.S. Open. Excuse me. The field was blitzed, obviously, by Bryce. And we talked about that a long time ago. But I, I think one of those guys will win it. Number two, I'm going to go with Tiger winning 83. And, yes, he had a terrible year in 2020. Um, I think his best finish was ninth, tied for ninth at the Farmers Open, which was might have been his first tournament of the year. Um, but the good thing about 2020 for Tiger, he didn't play a lot of tournaments. Obviously, missed the Tour Championship, which I was kind of sad about. I wanted to see him in there. But, it's you know, it's an opportunity for other new up-and-comers to get some uh, fresh blood in the Tour Championship. But I think with the rest in 2020, I think that is going to help him in 2021. Now, will he win 83? Nobody knows. Will he win more majors? Nobody knows. But I think this year is setting up very good for him. More than likely, he's probably going to start again at the Farmers Open because that's typically been his trajectory over the past few years. Um, But, you know, he hasn't – he really hasn't played any competitive golf um, since the PNC championship. And that was the only tournament he played in between that and the, the uh, BMW in, in Chicago, where he didn't finish high enough to qualify for the points for the tour championship. So he's had plenty of rest. I think it's good. I think number three on that list, Bryson, number one, just like you talked about, um, DJ has put together an astronomical amount of world uh, golf ranking points this year. I believe Justin Thomas was second, then John Rahm was third. So I think Bryson was fifth or sixth on that list. So, I mean, not that he couldn't catch him, but I think it's going to be very unlikely this year that he could get to number one. I think he can close the gap, but I think it's going to be hard with, you know, guys like uh, Justin Thomas is in form, John Rahm's in form. Uh, we'll see if this equipment change hampers him. Um, you know, uh Dustin is in such great form. Rory McIlroy, even though he didn't play very good, he's in good form. Up-and-comers, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, uh, Matt Wolf are pushing these guys. So there's a lot more parity in the realm of golf compared to when Tiger was around in the early 2000s, and he just absolutely dominated the world rankings. You know, he's I think it's something like an astronomical 861 or 864 weeks at, at number one, which I don't know if anybody's going to ever catch. Um, ever again. Um, so I think Bryson closed the gap, but I think it's difficult. And number four, nothing against DJ, but like you said, it's hard to win multiple majors. The last guy to do it was uh, 2018 Brooks Kepka U.S. Open PGA. Before that, it was Tiger. So that's how difficult it's been. I mean, it's like it, it, it might happen every maybe like 20 to 30 years or, you know, lately with the talent, maybe every 10 to 15, but uh, I don't see DJ winning multiple majors. I think he could win a major absolutely in 2021 um, on any of the venues, whether it's the Masters, the U.S. Opens at Torrey Pines South, which 
we remember the last time we were there, classic vintage Tiger in 2008, taking down Rocco Mediate. Um, can't remember. Oh, PGA's at Kiowa Island in South Carolina. Last time they played there, Rory blitzed the field to win his uh, second, first PGA um, in 2012. And then the uh, British Open will be at Royal St. George's because it was postponed, canceled last year. So um, I think DJ could win any one of those, but I think to win multiple, I think it would be very difficult. I think the one that he would probably like to win nothing against the masters would be the PGA in South Carolina, because that's his home state born and raised uh, on Kiowa. And that's a special golf course with a lot of storied history, Ryder cups, us opens, former PGAs. So um, that's how I rank uh, those four things. Perfect. Um, yeah, I think those are, those are all very interesting. It'd be interesting to see. I mean, watching Victor and Mayakoba, I mean, he can, the dude can play. He still needs to work on his short game. That's for sure. Um, but everyone has a weakness at some point, but yeah, he, he, he did well. And I think he's, I mean, he was put under pressure, not even just on that last putt, but even coming down those final holes, I think he knew where he was at and he was like, can't, can't blow this lead. I mean, he had pressure on him and he, he did well. And then, well, like watching tiger too, and going to tiger, I think the rest like you said, will be really helpful. Cause when I was watching him during some of the PNC, he just didn't look super comfortable at times when he was like bending down to, to get the ball at points. And I'm sure he was pretty happy at points when he didn't even have to hit off the tee. When, when Charlie had a good tee shot, he was like, all right, I'm good. Let's not even hit. Well, he just turned 45 a, a few days ago on Wednesday. So, um, you know, it's the, Greatness of Tiger now is going to be few and far between, but when he reaches down and finds it, there are there are very few people that can find that greatness. Um, so yeah, I think, like I said, I think twenty twenty is great for rest for him. And to kind of go back to to Victor Hovland, I think he's like a hundred and tenth. He was a hundred and tenth on the PGA Tour. I don't know if his last year or parts of this year was strokes gained, like uh, wedge play. I think it was like a hundred yards and in. And, and he has said that, like, my wedge game stinks. Like, I, I mean, for a tour player, it stinks. For a regular person, he's phenomenal. But he said, like, that's the hardest thing he's been working on day in, day out, are those wedges. And obviously, some of those shots down the stretch of Mayakoba, you know, besides the that uh, laser, I think it was like 8-iron, 9-iron at 18 to about 15 feet just right. But he hit one on... He hit some shots. He hit a, a great second shot to 13, to par five. That got him on the green, easy two-putt for birdie. He had a couple iron shots down the stretch that set up kicking birdies from about four or five feet. So um, people know he's a great driver of the golf ball. He, he pures his irons. He is one of, like, that is the thing that I'm most impressed with, with these three guys, okay? Yes, Matt Wolf and Victor can drive the ball. And, and Colin's not short, but he's very accurate. But these three guys, they are dart throwers with their irons. I mean, Victor is a dart thrower. Uh, hot Wolf, you know, for an, as unorthodox as him is, the impact position is perfect. And Kyle Morikawa might be the best iron player on the PGA Tour. Um, and, and at 23, I mean, he's just he's out of this world. And obviously that's one of the reasons he won the PGA is because he was so accurate. And the shots he pulled off were just a testament to – how good of an iron player and um, 
how good his wedges and chipping around the green were uh, in that PGA Championship uh, in San Francisco. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what this this year holds. And uh, before you know it, I think I think we're less than a hundred days to the Masters already. So don't yeah, hold your breath. Yeah, unfortunately, they're having some delays in the tickets. I saw with the the 2021 patrons. So, but yeah, we're we're second week of April. I mean, uh, things are rolling in. So, you know, Century Tournament of Champions followed by the Sony Open uh, the week after. Then they come back to the mainland for the American Express. Um, so, yeah, and then I think it's the Farmers Insurance Open. So Tiger will make his his debut there. Um, then they come down here to the waste management back to the Nissan open and then to, uh, Mexico for the world golf championship. So should be a, a nice start to the year. Um, and a lot of players might be a little more active, you know, on the, on the West coast. I know Brooks Kepka said he's going to be a little more active. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Rory is, is pretty active on the West coast. Obviously I believe he's going to open the year up in Abu Dhabi. Uh, cause I don't think he can, he, uh, I don't think he confirmed to the field for the Century Tournament of Champions, which they have until today. So, um, but yeah, I think yeah, I think I saw that his first confirmed outing will be in Abu Dhabi for Rory. Yeah, and that is a and, and I've watched that tournament a lot. That is a great course. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood went back to back in twenty. I believe it was 2018, 2019. Ricky Fowler has won over there in twenty sixteen. Uh, guys like Martin Keimer, Lee Westwood, um, Kepka has gone over there the past few years, even though I don't know if he committed to that or not. Um, but they, they get some high-level names, and it's a great, great tournament, the European Tour, and it's one of their signature events, hence why it's called the Rolex Series. It's kind of like the majors here and the Players' Championship uh, on the PGA Tour, along with the FedEx Cup Playoffs that are kind of signature events. European Tour is a Rolex Series event, and this is uh, – and this is one of them because they start here and then they go to uh, Dubai for the Omega Dubai Desert Classic, which always draws a great field. Tiger Woods has won there a couple times. Um, Bryson won there a couple years ago. So, um, yeah, should be a good start to the year for both the PGA and the uh, European Tour. Yeah. And with that being said, I think we'll get into some of uh, listener questions. We got We got a few. Um, before we get into that, I do want to ask you, how was TPI? Andrew sat, well, went through the first level of Titleist Performance Institute certification, which is all virtual right now. So how was that? Uh, it, was, it was great, besides the fact it was at nine in the morning. Unfortunately for them, it was at eight in the morning, California time. But uh, no, it's if any of you guys, whether you're fitness professionals, medical professionals, golf instructors, or just anybody that's curious, it's probably yeah, one yeah. Of the best, it's probably one of the best certs that's been taught. So it's taught by Dr. Greg Rose, who's a chiropractor, um, and then Dave Phillips, who is a uh, PGA professional who's been doing it for, I think, like 25, 30 years now. Um, and they were given the green light by Titleist to start this institute, Titleist Performance Institute. It's in Oceanside, California, uh, near San Diego. I believe it's just, I think they said it's just south of San Diego, like 40 minutes. So. Um, but it, it's great. It covers, you know, swing faults, especially if you golf instructors know, you know, some of us uh, medical professionals, fitness professionals don't know a whole lot about the swing, or maybe we do because we played a lot, but we still need some kind of cueing and some nuances. So they go through that. They go through some of the 
um, maybe some physical characteristics that show up in certain people's swings um, and just some things to watch out for. And then we go through, you know, fitness performance variations, doing assessments, doing mini screens, things of that nature, just so you can rule out some things or help somebody get better. Um, and then the nice thing is just kind of the, the perks with TPI. I mean, they have, you know, perks with just tons of companies. Like I purchased, you know, for Christmas for myself, you know, even though I did get Christmas gifts, my family still likes me. Um, I got all, the, uh, I got the super swing, the super speed uh, swing trainers. Plus I've got the launch monitor coming and I got a code for TPI, which gave me 20% off all those things. So it costs less. Um, and then they also, TPI has an app where you can just do the screen right there. You don't even have to pull up the paperwork online. Um, so it's just, it's fantastic in so many ways. Um, so if you guys are on the fence, Joe has, has gone through it and done some of the other classes. I've done the initial one and I'm going to do some of the other classes too, probably coming up this year. I would highly recommend that to you if um, it makes sense financially for you or if you're just curious about the golf performance fitness side and how golf instructors, fitness professionals, medical professionals, or just anybody else can work together uh, for the better, betterment of individuals uh, within the golf community. Yeah. And I would say I've heard people, just regular golf enthusiasts that have no medical background. They're not a golf instructor or not even a, you know, fitness person. They're just love golf that have taken the course and, you know, at least level one for all the other levels, you need to have some sort of background to be quote unquote, have it as like a major designation. I'm sure that you can still take them, but you may not even want to go that far, but to at least get a better understanding of the swing and how the body relates to the swing and just for your own betterment to have a better understanding of the swing and, and how that works basically. Um, and I would consider TPI to be the gold standard almost in terms of, yeah. uh, you know, body swing connection basically when it comes to the golf world and they've delved into to other rotational sports as well, including baseball and uh, tennis. So they're, they're making waves and um, I'm sure it's only going to continue to grow for sure. Oh yeah. And um, you know, like, like Joe said, they are the gold standard. I mean, there's another one, uh, the Gray Institute does a golf functional, and there's nothing against that. I, I, Gray Institute puts out a lot of good content, but if you want really in-depth content, one-on-one, um, -on -one, you know, instruction from Greg Rose, Dave Phillips, or when they get out, um, sometimes they have high-level coaches. I mean, Claude Harmon the third was on one, not two. He wasn't in mine, but he was on one who coaches Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, uh, Mark Blackburn, the PGA Tour Teacher of the Year, who coaches Charlie Hoffman. Uh, Kevin Chappell, Ches Reeby, you know, to name a few. I mean, sometimes you get the perks of, of having, excuse me, some higher level instruction um, from solid individuals. And I got Jason Glass in mind, and he's really good with what he knows about strength and conditioning and performance. Um, so it's, yeah, it's worth it. I'd say go do it. You know, like I said, if you're financially, uh, want to financially invest in it, or you feel like, you're curious and you're on the fence, Joe and I both. All right. So let's get into our uh, listener questions. The first one is a fairly easy one slash. I don't know if it is that easy, but yeah. um, this is from Dave and he had two questions. 
David asked, the first question is, are you a golfer and a therapist or are you a therapist that plays golf? Which is quite uh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So first off, David, thanks for the questions. Uh, anybody, I'm just going to say this right now. If you have any questions or comments, don't hesitate to contact us. And we'll probably say more about that at the end of the show. Um, I'm mainly a uh, therapist. So I'm a physical therapist assistant. Um, but my background is personal training and strength and conditioning. So over the last nine years, I've spent a lot of time in the personal training fitness industry, as well as um, for three years, I was an assistant strength coach at a D3 school that my friend had asked me to do uh, some things with. So, yeah, I'm, I'm more of a uh, therapist, I would say, that is a golfer, but I did I've been playing golf since I was 12. I'm 35 now. Um, and I played four years in high school and three years in college at a small D3 school um, in Iowa called Warper College. Um, so um, I would think I'm a high-level golfer, and I love to play golf, but I obviously I don't make money off of it. I would say I'm a competitive amateur, but I love being a therapist assistant and strength performance coach um, as well. And that was part of the reason I took TPI, but, um, that is more the realm I have fallen in over the past eight or nine years or so is, is being within the fitness health and wellness community, um, with the performance. And as 2020 goes on, I'm going to delve more into the golf performance and, and fitness side. Obviously I've been starting to do that over the past little over a year or so, but yeah, I'm more of a therapist that, that plays a lot of golf on the weekends. Yeah, I would go along the same way. I'm definitely not the greatest golfer by any means. And this past year was the first year that I've been able to play the most golf I've ever played. Um, I started playing when I was 13 to 14. I was just introduced by playing with a friend in high school. He had like a retention basin behind his house where you can hit some balls. And he was on the golf team and we were just hitting. He was like, you're pretty good. You should maybe come out for the team. I was like, all right. So I played played golf in high school for a few years. And then um, once I got to college, um, which was, God, a while ago now at this point, um, you know, 10, 13, 13 years ago. Yeah, something like that. 13 years ago. And like golf was not cool like it is now for, for college kids to play. Um, so whenever I ask people to play or, or want to do something, they'd be like, why, why do you play golf? Like that's an old man sport. So like I never had anyone to play with and then I just got too into school so I can get into grad school and then grad school just was consumed my life and then I just started working and then working consumed my life as well. And I'd only play maybe a handful of times, but I still love the game, still would, you know, watch golf, listen to all the golf stuff that's going on in the world. Um and then finally just kind of was like, all right, well, I'm just gonna go for it. And then this past year like most people, we were able to play the most golf probably than that's ever been played before. And um, yeah, I'd probably say that I'm a therapist. This also goes into like a really weird kind of thing of like what you self-identify as is like, uh, are you a therapist? Do you recognize yourself as that? Or are you a golfer? But like at the same time, this is going to get really deep. But like what happens when you retire, right? Like do you lose your identity as a therapist? And like what happens to that point? So I don't know if I like necessarily identify myself as 
quote unquote either. I'm just kind of me. Um, but I am a therapist who plays golf because by no means I'm not making any money whatsoever playing golf. Um, I'm, in fact, I'm probably spending way too much like everyone else does doing it. Yeah, but that's the fun. I mean, un unfortunately, golf is one of those hobbies that's a little more expensive than others. But if you are truly invested in it, the return on investment will balance itself out. So Joe and I would probably say we're, we're golf junkies. So, um, I mean, if you want to put that title for us, then they go ahead. There you go. All right. So second question from David is what is the best way to stretch the psoas muscle in your pelvis? So oh, great. This is, this is it. So this is a typical question. So, um, you know, it's not that Joe and I don't want to answer. This is a pretty typical question. Okay. So some of the things all here is, Oh, my hip flexors are tight or they're weak, you know? Um, so the psoas basically, if we want to do a little bit of brief anatomy, it starts on the last three vertebrae of the lumbar and comes all the way down to the front of the hip. So it basically all it does is it helps this is flexion, lifts your leg. So, I mean, one of the things you can do is you can kind of lay like this, one leg up, drop this leg down because you need to go into extension to stretch it if you want to. Okay. Um, and this is a position called the Thomas stretch. It's also a test in therapy. You know, if you want to know more about that, you can ask Joe and I another time. That's just kind of a brief thing. Um, one of the things that I like to do for hip flexors more necessarily than stretch it is strengthen it. So one of the things is you can put a band down around your feet and you can do, these are what are called banded marches. So they're going to work the front of your hips. So not only are they going to work the psoas, they're going to work some of the other hip flexors too. Once you get comfortable with that, you can go into standing. Um, so, I mean, those, those are some things. Also, hip flexion can be worked on with like deadlifts. Um, they worked on a little bit with squatting, um, things like what's called a good morning, uh, things of that nature. So those are just some kind of brief things. If you want more advanced, maybe reasoning, or more advanced fitness prescription exercises that you can do. Don't hesitate to message me. Um, Strength Roast on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and then Strength Roast, all one word on Facebook. Um, or you can just tell Joe and he'll re relay me the message. But that's just kind of the basics of um, with the hip flexors in front. Um, you can stretch them, but sometimes they need more strengthening than stretching. Yeah, I would say most often a lot of people think that they need to stretch their hip flexors when in reality they're not actually tight and your body gives this sensation of a lot of times for a lot of people of feeling tight when really they need to be worked on in a different manner, which is usually getting them stronger slash more stable if we want to use that word um a lot of times a good example is the same thing with the hamstrings a lot of people will say oh i'm really tight in my hamstrings and then i have them lie down and get them into a the testing position for the hamstrings and they can pretty much straighten their leg out and i go well you're not tight in your hamstrings but when you do this they're they're like well it 
feels tight. Like when I go down to try to touch my toes, right? Well, that's your body is giving you a different sensation because your nervous system is trying to protect you for some reason. A lot of times it's because people are either hypermobile or something's going to happen that your body doesn't want it to happen. So your brain says tighten up and then it gives the sensation of feeling tight. Um, and like Andrew said, um, he did that lying down stretch um, on the back, kind of just letting your leg fall off the side. Um, another really simple one is to get into a half kneeling position and you're going to stretch the leg that's down back behind you. A lot of times, a lot of people will lunge forward onto their front leg to stretch that hip flexor, which is again on the side that's down back behind you, but you're not going to actually stretch the hip flexor or your psoas in that position. You're just kind of really stretching the front of the joint, which is not what we want to do. Um, so you need to stay upright, nice and tall, keep your trunk up nice and tall. Don't lean forward, but kind of tilt your pelvis backwards and tuck your tailbone underneath you. That will get a stretch in the front of that hip that's down back behind you. Um, that's another option to stretch the hip flexor, but like we always say, and I hate, hate doing this and saying it, but always try to get evaluated first before you try some of these things, because you may just be spinning your wheels and not really getting any benefit out of something. Um, so we really need to, you really need to be assessed to see if you truly are tight in your hip flexors, or is it more of a strength issue, or is it just kind of like a, a nervous system kind of coordination stability issue too? So those are all the things that a qualified healthcare professional can kind of tease out and really help you with. Yeah. And, and like Joe's saying, some of the stuff is really general. So we're just kind of giving you general ideas. Now, will this work for everybody? Probably not. And that's why we're saying get evaluated or at least get assessed or have a mini, you know, screen of these things and then determine a plan going forward. Because if you don't have a plan for this, it doesn't make sense for you to say, oh, my hip flexors are tight. And then you're just stretching and it's not getting any better when maybe you need some strength or maybe you need just a slightly different approach um, or you just need a, a few basic specific exercises to work that more right also just to go off that point too maybe it's not even your hip flexor it could be your back that's uh, referring pain to the front of your hip or it could be some sort of other thing that really needs to be ruled out that could be causing the pain that's in the front of your hip there's a lot of stuff that's going on in and around the pelvis uh, not just muscularly uh, but nerves mm -hmm. and organs that can refer pain elsewhere um, so again, always go ahead and get that checked out first. If you're having pain, that doesn't seem to be getting better. Even after you tried some things, I would say after a week, you know, go ahead and, and, and find someone that can help you out. But thanks David for those questions. Uh, the next one is definitely an, an in-depth question. So I'll try my best to, uh, go through this. I had a little bit of a conversation with this gentleman. Uh, his name is Gordon. Um, just trying to get a little bit more out of it. So he shattered his right shoulder joint in 2004. It sounded, I didn't get the exact way that it was repaired, but he said there was some hardware that helped it heal. So I'm not sure if it was uh, hardware that was placed into his body or if he had an external fixation where basically you have some rods and pins that are still going inside of you, but they're also external to the body. Um, he had his mobility was restricted due to scar tissue and it caused him to go over the top with a little bit of a fade. He eventually worked with a swing coach and he was able to get it straightened out and even getting a slight draw. So that's not the main problem. 
um, but it is helpful to the background of the story. So he had a total shoulder replacement that took place about 18 months ago, and he reports that he had uh, adherence or, again, scarring down of his biceps tendon. He also had avascular necrosis and arthritis, and he said a piece of the humeral head was detached and had about 80% of mobility. He did see a physical therapist, and he said that he pretty much reached his limit, or the physical therapist said that he had reached his limit and he was discharged from PT. And then his main goal is to try to get more mobility to go across his body, across his chest, so he can have a more natural follow through. I did not ask him, but I'm assuming he's a right-handed golfer, uh, given that it's his trail side and he's trying to get across his body. Um, or it could be wrong. He could be just trying to get some more width in the backswing. Either way, his goal is to get across his body. So there's yeah. a lot to unload and unpack in this question. Um, yeah. And a lot of things that are specific to him and lots of other things. So we'll try our best to answer this, Gordon. Um, but yeah, how many, before we even get started, how many um, total shoulder replacements have you seen or worked with, Andrew? Well, considering the average age of my town is 60, quite a bit. Okay, and good. I have seen both the total shoulder and what a lot of surgeons are doing now, the reverse. So just a quick primer. If this is the joint, this is the head, they reverse it around. So now the head is in the different place. And yeah, so if it's a reverse, one- It's a standard. Would, it's standard, yeah. Okay. It's standard, well, yeah. So I'll just say this in general, for anybody that has a reverse total shoulder, your mobility is just going to be limited in general because what's called the arthrokinematics or how the joint moves is now different. So, and then if somebody had more questions, they could ask me about it, but total shoulder, um, usually most of the time, this is what we like to call flexion is pretty good. This one's pretty good. Usually it's the in rotation and then what's called adduction they will limit in the beginning of surgery, at least from the surgeon's protocols um, I have seen. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let's dive into this. So, one is obviously with the shoulder. So then the question would be, basically in the backswing, I'm looking, and, and TPI talks about this, and they do a great job. Basically, if this, if you're a right-handed golfer like I am, we're looking at external rotation more with the shoulder. So that's, that's one thing. How much external rotation? Because if, if somebody's here, you know, they're going to have to move somewhere else. So then the next thing, obviously I'm going to look, you'd look at the shoulder, like, can they, you know, obviously can they do this? Can they come across, you know, stuff like this. Then the next thing I'm going to look at is I'm going to look at the T-spine because if he doesn't have this, he's going to have to get more rotation from the T-spine. If he can't, guess what? He's going to go into what we call that, that early extension so um, or reverse spine angle sometimes. So if he doesn't have here, he's going to be like, oh, I'm trying to get more. And that's not going to feel good because either something's going to happen, whether it's your mid-back or low back's going to feel it. Maybe not after one or two swings, but after a number of swings. So obviously I'm going to look at the shoulder. I'm going to look at the mid-back. So, you know, can they flex? Can they extend? Can they rotate? Can they, you know, side bend? Because our shoulder blade back here is attached to the T-spine and the ribs and around that area. So all that 
is interchangeable and works together. Then I may also look at the neck because when you come back, my neck is in left rotation. When I come through, my neck's in right rotation. Does he have the ability to do that? Because the, the TPI test is this. You look, come down, okay, look, come down. Does he have that? So those are the three things I'm going to look at. If he is limited in any of those ranges, then I'm going to start thinking about, okay, how can we program it specifically? Is he lacking that mid-back T-spine rotation? Obviously, he may be lacking shoulder like external rotation or adduction, abduction, you know, stuff like that. Or is he lacking cervical stuff? And to put together a comprehensive plan for that. Um, so that's kind of what, what I would do with that. Because if we just focus on the shoulder, he may not get uh, any better with this or things like that. You also have to look at other parts, whether it's the T-spine or the neck. Because, you know, all this is close to here and obviously is close to here. So he might have some other limitations in that, not just the shoulder. I mean, a lot of times people will focus on the body part that is not moving as well when there could be subtle nuances or slight variations or slight limitations in other areas of the body that if we address those too, maybe all that improves at one time. But one of the things is it's going to be a gradual process. So, you know, if you want to get better, obviously, like he said, get evaluated, get assessed, but then make a plan because this is, this will probably take months literally to get this, to get this going. I mean, for one thing, I don't have that great external rotation, but you know, over the past like month or two, I've just been playing with variations of, external rotation and it seemed to improve slightly at least from my eye and my point of view so it's it's going to take months so that's just kind of my thing about it is don't guess a lot of times people say don't guess assess so you know kind of get looked at um you know a little screen things like that but like i said i look at the shoulder then i look at the mid back and then i look at the neck and then probably come up with a comprehensive plan from there to improve that ability yeah i would say definitely you want to look at all those things including the thoracic spine the mid back you want to look at the neck um you even talked about the shoulder blade those are all things to definitely look at um for sure because they could be contributing to any possible loss of motion um or they could also help you if you aren't able to get any more motion potentially through that shoulder joint i think one of the biggest things to unpack here for gordon is that he had a significant issue in 2004, which is now, I don't know when in 2004, but 17 years ago. And he had some scarring there um, in terms of, you know, not being able to supposedly get full mobility, right? So um, I assume he had decent, given the fact that he was able to play some golf again and go through a golf swing. So that's always good. But it sounded like he, you know, eventually had to go through this again, right? I mean, he had avascular necrosis. For anyone who doesn't know, that's basically death to the bone because the blood supply is cut off. So it just basically starts deteriorating. Um, Obviously, with a previous injury, you're more prone to getting osteoarthritis. Um, And he said that he had a piece of his humeral head detached, which is also not good. Um, So with that being said, 
there's a lot of stuff that's been going on for a really long time um, that may not, you know, I hate to say this, unfortunately, ever get done. Or if it does, like Andrew was saying, it's going to take time and a lot of work and a lot of effort to work on that um, over time. Now, is that to say that you can't ever improve it? No, I don't want to say that because there's always a chance that things will get better and crazier things have happened. Um, but you're going to have to put in a lot of work because things have been tight potentially for a long time. Now, when it comes to just the shoulder joint replacement itself, you're 18 months post-op. You should be able to do anything that you want in terms of like actual healing. All of that is healed. I'm assuming, you know, the surgeon did a good job. The, the prosthesis should be in a good place. And, you know, you'd have to do some significant damage to, you know, mess that up. So with that being said, like Andrew was saying, normally they limit rotation, usually reaching back behind your body and going into what we call internal rotation initially because they cut through that muscle and you have to get into internal rotation to come across your body. Um, so one thing that I would recommend, let's say that you're, let's say everything else is fine. First thing I would look at if I was looking at you, Gordon, would be looking at your joint mobility of the shoulder joint, which is going to be a little limited because just of testing, because you have a, a, a joint replacement basically. Um, but I would also look at your muscular mobility. Like, how does that feel to me? Like, I would really be looking at, does your posterior shoulder musculature feel tight? I would try to maybe go along your shoulder blade with a tennis ball or, or a cross ball or a foam roller, or whatever you have potentially, even a golf ball, and try to loosen some of that up a little bit. And then try to reach across your body. And your joint is going to limit you one way or another. And it's going to tell you what you can tolerate or not. I've seen a lot of people that they normally can't come straight across with their elbow at shoulder height. They normally have to be a little bit lower uh, than that just because it just doesn't feel right for them. And that may just take some time getting used to. I wouldn't yank your arm, just go nice and slow and just whatever's comfortable first, because um, you do have a joint replacement and it's definitely going to change how things move a little bit. should be similar to most, you know, the normal, uh, movement of the shoulder, but, um, go slow first. I would definitely try that. Another thing that you can maybe try to look up after you've done some, um, of that soft tissue release with a ball or a foam roller would be potentially like a sleeper stretch. If you can go comfortable with that, if you can look that up, basically you're just lying on your side and you're just pulling your arm down gently. That will also help continue to stretch out some of those muscles along the backside of your shoulder. And then you'd want to work on trying to get into that range of motion after that as well, just actively. Um, that would be the best thing. That would be also barring that nothing else was wrong. Um, again, like Andrew said, definitely look at your mid back for sure. Um, that plays a big role. The other thing I'd look at too would be, is your shoulder blade stuck or stiff at all? Like, can it come forward on your rib cage? Cause if that's also adhered down, and it's stiff and tight, you're going to have a hard time coming across your body because your shoulder blade's going to kind of ride along your rib cage as you're reaching across. Um, so if that's also stiff and tight, um, you're going to have an issue there. And then again, potentially some of those muscles that will help that motion as well may also be weak or just don't know that they can go there. So that may also just be another thing that you need to work on in terms of working on like your lower trap and your serratus anterior to help kind of pull that uh, shoulder blade forward on your rib cage. Um, hopefully that was helpful. I know it was a mouthful and a lot. Um, and again, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in your situation. 
I definitely think that it's possible for you to do that. Um, but again, it's may take some time and just a lot of work to, to get where you want to get to. Yeah. And you know, structures, you know, obviously one is like Joe said, you had a metal implant. It's like a, a, a hip or, a, you know, a knee, like it's, it doesn't have, it's, it's mimicking the structure that it used to be. So, um, it, it may feel like I have a lot of people describe when I work on them and like, it just feels weird and, you know, but that's kind of the way it is. Number two is, is tissues, the musculature, um, tendons around there. They're just going to take time. Um, because basically after an initial injury, uh, something that I read in the research this week is tendons take three weeks to respond to load after, after an injury. So, um, that kind of gives you a time frame of that. So it's not like tissues and, and such as musculature and tendons don't change overnight. It, it takes weeks to months. So, you know, like Joe said, be patient, start gradual, um, just find some things that, that seem to work the best. And then once you get better at them, you can slightly progress them to more kind of intermediate versions. And then once you get better, you know, more advanced versions. So, um, that would be kind of the other way I would look at it. Yeah. So hopefully that was helpful, Gordon. Um, thanks for the question, Gordon. Yeah. Yep. Thank you so much. Hopefully that was helpful. I know there's a lot, if you have any questions about anything that we kind of explained, feel free to just shoot us a message. All of our stuff will be linked in the show notes. Um, you can shoot us a message there. Um, or on Facebook where I, uh, first got your comment, but, um, those are all the questions from the listeners we have. Like Andrew said earlier, if you guys have any questions regarding anything, please go ahead and submit them to us. We probably should do a little bit better of a job asking for them beforehand, uh, instead of like less than 24 hours before we do our recording, but we're getting better. Um, we'll try to remember next time. And then, um, or if there's anything else you guys want us to talk about, or, um, even if it's not a question that you may have or, uh, anyone specific that you'd like to come on the show or heck, if you want to come on the show and, and chat too, that's fine. Um, just let us know. Yeah. We're, we're always open to, uh, cool people within the golf, uh, community, whether they're instructors, coaches, fitness, performance, uh, mental aspect. I mean, anything Joe's open to, to whoever to interview. And even if we're not doing a monthly mash, if you just want to ask us a question in general, don't hesitate uh, to just ask us things. If you got something that's kind of bugging you or you don't know where to, to start, I mean, maybe Joe and I can point you in the right direction or, or kind of give you an, an idea of, of where to look to. Yep. Yep. Don't, don't uh, be afraid to ask us any questions. Um, even like Andrew said, if it's not for the podcast, we'll be more than happy to answer them and point you in the right direction if, um, if we can't help you. Um, but I guess we'll wrap up this episode here. Andrew, thanks so much for coming on. And then uh, we'll see everyone in February. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode in 2021. I appreciate everyone downloading and taking the time out of their day to listen to this podcast. Guys and gals, if you have any questions that you want answered in terms of fitness, golf performance, injuries, health, nutrition, golf equipment, etc., please send them to myself or Andrew 
Our contact information will be linked down below in the show notes. So you can send us a message on Instagram, on Facebook, via email. Any of those uh, routes would be great. If you want to get into the free Facebook group, go ahead and please check that out as well. The link to join is down below in the show notes as well. You can go ahead and join that group and feel free to ask us a question in there and then also get a lot more free content as well to help out your golf performance and just your overall health off of the course as well. So with that being said, we will officially wrap this episode up. Thank you again so much for taking the time out of your day to download and listen to this episode. I hope everyone has a great start to their 2021 and does a great job at kicking this year in the ass and achieving your goals on and off the golf course. With that being said, keep working hard, keep striving for excellence in everything you do, because when you feel great, you golf great.